0: Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters.
1: Welcome to MASH Matters. This is episode 19. Wow,
0: 19. Can you believe We're up to episode
1: 19. I had us only lasting until about episode 16, I think. So, you know, (laughs) we've even surpassed my expectations. Yeah. No, this is great. This is great. Episode 19 of MASH Matters. If this is your first time uh, listening, thank you for joining us. This is the podcast that celebrates what many, including me, consider the greatest television show of all time and what many also consider the greatest job of all time. And that brings me to my partner, Mr. Jeff Maxwell.
0: Yes, indeed. It really was the greatest greatest job uh, of all time, in television anyway. I had a few other jobs that were kind of cool, but in television, boy, this was the best job I ever had and probably will ever have. Not only was it a brilliant show, but we were I was around so many wonderful, talented, brilliant people. So the whole experience was just gosh darn good.
1: Well, someday I would love to talk to you more about some of the other shows that you did appear on. We were just briefly talking before we started recording here about you appearing on the pilot episode of too close for comfort. Yeah. Uh, that's for another podcast on another day, but maybe we can get some uh, some inside scoop on some other shows of that era. I will give you the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> but today we're going to talk about, of course, MASH, and uh, we've, we've gotten quite a few uh, more letters in, uh, some emails and voicemails and uh, people sending us Facebook messages and uh, Snapchats and Insta tweets and whatever. I don't know. Did we've we gotten- get an
0: Insta tweet? Really? An Insta tweet? <laughs> we
1: did. Wow. Oh, yeah. I, I never had an Insta-tweet. <laughs> this is great. I'm going to tell everybody. You always remember your first.
0: Oh, you do. <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh, boy.
1: <laughs> so let's just jump right in and read some of these and see where this takes us. This right. first one comes from David Mann, who lives in Durham, North Carolina.
0: Wait, wait a minute. Excuse me. Isn't David Mann a famous director? David Mann? Michael Mann. Michael Mann. Oh, I, I knew it was one of the men.
1: The man I don't know if there's any relation. Here, um, although I do know that David uh, has a history in show business, which he he goes into here in his letter, but he says, "Hello, Jeff and Ryan. I recently discovered your show, and I have to say, Mash Matters is the podcast I've been waiting for since podcasts began." Yeah, yeah. David. All right, that's we right. love this guy, David. You are the best. You know, I think we could just stop the episode right here. Yeah,
0: that's it. Stay tuned for episode twenty. Thanks for coming.
1: let's keep going he says i'd love to tell you about my offbeat connections with the show and ask a couple of questions i was 11 years old when mash debuted in 1972 and it immediately became my all-time favorite show and stayed that way throughout my childhood flash forward 11 years i'm sitting in my dorm room my senior year at the university of north carolina watching the finale with all of my hallmates one of which is a basketball player by the name of michael jordan
0: Wow. Is that cool or what? You know, there's another famous Michael Jordan basketball player, too. I wonder if it's the same
1: one. I'm thinking the same. Yeah, that's cool. So apparently Michael Jordan is also a MASH fan. So maybe he's listening right now. Michael, big fan. Flash forward another few years. I
0: find myself <laughs> working. That was a, that was a sound effect. I'm sorry. I'm
1: <laughs> I find myself working as an assistant film editor on Die Hard 2. Wow. In a bungalow, 10 feet from the old writer's building on the 20th century Fox lot. Flash forward a few more years. I'm at the Barnes and Noble in Encino and I spot an elderly gentleman looking at a book in the movie and TV section. I recognize his face and introduce myself and I'm friends with Everett Greenbaum for the remainder of his life. Wow. Yeah. And of course, Everett Greenbaum, a, uh, a legendary writer, not only for MASH, but many other classic shows, including uh, Andy Griffith show, too. Right. Yeah. And he had a partner named Jim Fritzel. Yes. So he back to the letter, uh, he says, Jeff, I have been to Malibu Creek State Park a few times over the past couple of decades, and there's very little evidence of any movie making left. When you worked at the ranch in the 70s, were there any standing sets such as the village from Planet of the Apes or the temple from the sand pebbles or the water tank used for the Poseidon Adventure and Tora Tora Tora? Perhaps you saw the miniature skyscraper when they were filming The Towering Inferno. Also, I read an interview with McLean Stevenson after he quit the show in which he mentioned that he felt Fox mistreated the actors by not improving the primitive working conditions at the ranch. Was it really that tough? All the best, David Mann, Durham, North Carolina. Thank you, David, for that great letter. And uh, let me just say that Die Hard 2 is my second favorite Die Hard film.
0: Well, David helped make that good. He helped make it one of your favorites. Exactly. By being an assistant editor. That's a pretty good thing to do. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. I wonder if David went on to do other editing or continue that career on some. I know he's from Durham, North Carolina. So. Unless he's working at a studio in Durham, North Carolina, which he may be. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he went on to be a a film editor, because that's a that's a difficult job to get. And when you get it and then you kind of want to move up and you want to be a film editor, giving that up
1: is hard to do. Well, David, you can write us back and let us know about your uh, your other credits. We'd love to know.
0: Other credits. Anyway, so uh, did I see stuff? Yes, I did see stuff. What I saw every morning, I'll just describe for the moment how we got there. We would show up at about 630 in the morning. And it was pretty cold and you we kind of all huddled in a in a parking lot out at the ranch, and then vans, various vans would come in and pick people up, all the crew guys and all the actors and everybody connected with the show and they'd all get in various vans, and then they would head off to
1: the set. You know, when I was a kid, my mom used to tell me not to get in strange vans. Well, <laughs>
0: I, then, hey
1: kid, you want to go see a TV show? <laughs>
0: Well, they were paying me to do it. So I didn't care. I don't care.
1: (laughs) Do with me what you will. But the free candy was wonderful.
0: Oh, it was great. (laughs) It was wonderful. Um, So we would get in those weird, creepy vans and uh, (laughs) with guys like Alan Alda and everybody in there. And then it would drive in about a mile and a half or two miles from the parking lot into the set. And as the van went towards the set, you'd see on either side, kind of like an airplane, you'd go, oh, over there is Hawaii. Oh, over there is the Philippines. Mm -hmm. We'd see various sets from all the stuff that Fox shot out there. And I definitely did see each time every day I saw the um, Planet of the Apes set. Wow. That was really cool because you could, uh, you know, remember the apes running around and riding horses and doing all kinds of stuff. And their little uh, village they had was out there. So that was really neat to see that. That was a pretty cool thing to see. Really, that's kind of the only thing I recognized. I saw everything. I'm sure I saw the area that they shot most of those films, the Tora, Tora, Tora and so in. But I don't recall specific points other than the Planet of the Apes set, was was really neat. As far as McLean Stevenson quitting the show um, mentioning that he felt Fox mistreated the actors, you know here's the deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're out at a ranch in the middle of the Malibu area. We're, we're in a, we're in a, you know, a pretty hilly place. It wasn't luxurious to be out there under any circumstances, under any conditions. In order for Fox to have made us all happy or to have changed things dramatically, they would have had to have built buildings out there so that you go inside and get out of the heat or do whatever. Uh, you know, there were little dressing rooms provided so you could go in there and kind of sit down and relax and get out of the sun anyway. It wasn't necessarily real cool, although the dressing rooms did have air conditioners. So there were, they were portable dress. When I say dressing room, it was pretty small. It was probably, you know, 10 by 10, something like that, but it had an air conditioner. You could hang up stuff and you could go in there and eat if you wanted to. And everybody had their own. All of the stars had their own little dressing room like that. So. You know, McLean Stevenson, I think he was overdoing a little bit. You want to go boo-hoo, McLean. You're on a great television show. You're working with incredible actors like Jeff Maxwell. (laughs) Get over it. I mean, come on. You don't – these opportunities don't come, you know, a lot. So enjoy the moment. Mm -hmm. And was it really that tough? No, it wasn't. It was kind of fun, in my opinion. Uh but really, really tough. No, it wasn't really, really tough. There were moments when the um yellow jackets would attack your food when you were eating lunch. Yeah. Okay. That was kind of weird. But if you put sauce on the yellow jackets and then put them <laughs> on a piece of bread, you know, they weren't bad. So I don't know. I, I didn't complain. I loved being out there. And I think most everybody did, too. Uh, You know, a little bit of complaint. Oh, it's so hot. Oh, it's so cold. But give me a break. This is a once in a lifetime experience. Enjoy it.
1: Now, you loved it after your first day, because the first day you've admitted here on the podcast, you, you were pretty much miserable. out
0: there. I was miserable. I hated every second of it. But when I realized what a cool job it was and how many fascinating, interesting people there were around me. That's when everything changed. And then you go, well, hey, it's not that bad. It's just kind of a little hot here and there. But you're right. I can't deny I did hate it the first couple of days I was there because it just was uncomfortable. But again, McLean Stevenson was doing very well. He was getting paid very well. He had a wonderful part on the show and everybody loved him. Everybody loved his character. And so you kind of go, hey, you know, I'm I'm not in prison, you know, I'm not not on a chain gang. I'm on a top-rated television show, making a bunch of money, having a great time, so.
1: So, I'm curious about a day in the life on the set. You talk about getting there early in the morning and they drive you in, but once you get there, what was it like uh, a day in the life at the ranch and also a day in the life uh, on the soundstage there at, uh, at 20th Century Fox?
0: Okay, cool, good question. Um, Day in the Life at the Ranch, we kind of know a little bit about it, getting in those vans and they drive you in. So the OR set was actually a dressing room, <laughs> a big dressing room hmm. where they would store uh, lights, uh some camera equipment. And they'd also that was the place where everybody, all the extras and everybody came in and changed clothes. So if you weren't wearing your clothes, which sometime I did and sometimes the other actors did as well, if you didn't take them home and then come back with them in the morning, then you had to go in there and get outfitted. You go in the door as a civilian, you come out <laughs> Being in the Army <laughs> all all greened up at that point, then there was a time that uh they had to set up shots, so you were there at about seven thirty uh the first shot would go off at about eight o'clock, so from seven thirty eight you had whatever you wanted to do, and there was a trailer up and around the corner from the set. And that trailer was set up and it was like a little diner. So you go in there and a guy flipping hamburgers and egg sandwiches. I remember I couldn't wait to go get the egg sandwich. It was so good with cheese, dripping, melty cheese and two eggs and grilled bread. Oh, my God, that was good. Covered with mayonnaise. Oh, uh, the Yellow Jackets really liked it. (laughs) So I go up there and everybody was up there getting whatever they wanted, uh, coffee or sandwiches or whatever. And then you'd stagger back around the corner. And wait until the shot would start.
1: Did you know when you arrived on the set, did you know in advance what scenes you were going to be filming and in what order? Did they have like a, a call sheet or something that listed everything? Yes.
0: The call sheets would list all the scenes that were going to be shot and what locations they were going to be shot in. And that call sheet was passed out to everybody the night before to all of the crew, what they needed, what lights they needed, what uh, vehicles they needed, everything they needed to show up for that particular day would be on that call sheet. On the other side of the call sheet were all of the actors' times and scenes. So when you looked at that call sheet, your name was there and you knew exactly what was going to happen when. Uh, Not exactly the time, but you knew the sequence of the scenes. So you had a sense about what was going to happen after looking at the call sheet. So the day would go on from 8 o'clock until about 12 o'clock, you'd do the shooting. And then 12 or 1230, you get lunch. And that's when you would go up around that corner again. There would be a couple of more trailers and they'd have all these tables set up, with lots of chairs. And everybody would sit out there and have lunch. And it was a buffet kind of style. So you go through kind of like it was with me slopping the food. Only this time (laughs) I got to eat the food (laughs) and I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I am I was a young whippersnapper. And <laughs> I, I didn't have much taste or dignity. And I liked the food. Actually, <laughs> you'd go through and you get your vegetables and your meat and your stuff or your chicken or whatever you want and whatever they had. And you sit down with everybody else and you start chowing down. A couple of times, guys like McLean would kind of run off. He'd get a tray and run off to his dressing room. Uh, for the most part, most of the other actors did not do that. Everybody kind of sat around. It wasn't a segregated thing. Everybody was very integrated. Mm-hmm. You know, you were sitting next to Alan Alda. You were sitting next to Loretta, wherever you were. It wasn't. It was very friendly. And it was kind of a big group hug. So you're out there. We had lunch. Lunch was over. They'd start shooting again. Mm-hmm. And it would go on until they ran out of light. So you you could start shooting at once it started shooting about one thirty or two o'clock they'd shoot until they ran out of material to shoot or they got all the shots that they wanted or until the light ran out and when the light ran out, if they really really wanted like a close up of somebody and they didn't want to come back to shoot just one close up and come all the way back to the ranch just for a close up they'd light somebody up so they'd put out great big lights turn all the lights on so it would look like day. Mm-hmm. That happened occasionally.
1: I'm guessing then that most of the exterior night shots were all shot for the most part at the soundstage then, correct?
0: I would say probably a hundred percent.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: Yeah. It, it's, it's hard to shoot night for night out there. So I'm, I'm certain all the night shots were all on the set on Stage 9.
1: And I'm sure you probably swap uh, the yellow jackets for coyotes at that point, too. <laughs> at, at some point in yeah. the day when the sun goes down.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. We didn't see much uh, wildlife like that out there. I don't know why. You'd think it was, you know, it would be everywhere. But I guess the sound and all the people and the engines and the trucks and stuff probably scared them away, I, I would imagine, because no coyote ever came running through or any. I never saw anyone.
1: That could have been the coyote's big break in show business, too.
0: It could have been. It could have been. The, yeah, it could have been. He could have been on he or she could have been on MASH for umpteen years. Coyote a, mascot.
1: Missed opportunity. Oh, right. big miss.
0: Those poor coyotes. They get a bad rap. You know, in my neighborhood, we have a few coyotes. They used to run up and down the street all the time. It wasn't bad. It was kind of, you know, you would think, wait a minute, this is a wild animal out in front of my house wandering around. But i it. I thought they were, I mean, some of them that look healthy are kind of fun to look at. They're quite beautiful animals, really. The only problem is like, you know, like one o'clock in the morning when you hear them eating a cat, <laughs> you just, you go, Ugh, I don't like that part
1: of it. Yeah, it's not fun for the cat either.
0: Not fun for the cat. Because, you know, they start howling. I don't know if you know too much about coyotes. You probably do.
1: No, not by any means. No.
0: Okay. I know they howl. They howl. And the the reason they howl is when they're feeding. That's their little signal. And they they howl. And when they get a prey, they start to surround that prey and nip at the poor prey's feet uh, and confuse it. So then they all jump on them <laughs> and start ripping wow. it to shreds. <laughs> and then they howl. They they howl to let everybody know that they had dinner or something like that. I don't know. But
1: that is very similar to my dinnertime regimen, too. <laughs> really? Actually. Interesting. Yeah. I surround my food. I attack and I howl. That's what <laughs> I do. <laughs> So what was a day on the set there at the at the Fox Studios? How was it different from a day at the ranch?
0: Well, uh, there were no vans. You'd pull up and you'd park your car or if you have a drive on. uh, Studio lots have, you know, they're a little bit segregated. So if you're not one of the people who need to be on that lot, you can't be. Not necessarily because they consider you scum, but movie lots aren't necessarily that big. So there's not that much room that they could allow everybody to park a car in there because you you wouldn't be able to move around. So there was a lot for everybody who wasn't given a drive on pass for whatever reason. And if you were in that lot, you'd park your car and you walk up the street and you go into the studio and you'd head around the corner past the executive building, uh which housed all the producers. Uh, Most of the producers, including at the time, Daryl Zanuck had his office in the executive building, along with his son, Richard Zanuck. Wow. So all the big kahunas were in that particular building. That was a fun place to kind of wander around. I would used to go up there every once in a while and wander the hallway. And just look, they had great big posters and everything, and you know, great films from 20th Century Fox's past. So it was a really cool thing to do. I saw Omar Sharif one day staring at a poster. <laughs> was, really? Omar was not as impressive as he was on camera. <laughs> he a little funny guy, all hunched over and just staring at the poster.
1: He wasn't waiting for the poster to talk back, was he? <laughs> I, I don't
0: know what Omar was doing, but he, he didn't seem to want to leave. I don't know. Strange guy. <laughs> Um, so then uh, you know, you go into stage nine. Now, stage nine's great big I'm sure everybody has seen pictures of a sound stage. great, big place. Mm-hmm. And the door on these stages was kind of like a, a freezer door, very heavy because it had to be sound as soundproofed as it could get. So it was a very heavy door. And when it closed, it went, I mean, it was a serious lock when that thing closed. So it was very, very formidable door. Mm -hmm. And you'd open that big door and you were kind of hit by a kind of a musty old smell. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. And a little, you kind of turned to the left. It was dark musty you make a left hand turn and you were suddenly you were instead of being on concrete you were walking on wood a wood floor and you walk down a little hallway and turn to the right and then suddenly all to your right was the set and the set of the ranch was created recreated on stage nine Mm -hmm. it was a really fun thing to see as you turn that corner. Directly to your right was the entire set. Directly to your left um, was the uh, OR. That's where the OR and a couple of the other rooms were to the left. But to the right, three quarters of the stage was devoted to that set that was out at the ranch. So you had the swamp and you had everybody's tent. Now, it was a lot closer and smaller uh, than was out at the ranch because you didn't have the space. Right.
1: And you can tell that when you when you watch the show closely, you can tell when they're filming on the set. You can tell that those tents are right on top of one another.
0: Yes. Yes, they, they were. Yeah, they definitely were. And not only, you know, for space, but convenience as well, because the cameras had to move. And because when you were out at the ranch, there weren't a lot of individual shots of going in and out of tents or things. Things didn't really happen in the tents because they didn't have it all set up to do that. So all of that was was shot on the stage. But it was kind of cool. You walk around, you just walk to your right, and suddenly you're in that compound. And as you go, as you enter the compound, directly to the left was the mess tent. If you walk straight ahead, you were at the swamp. And then to the right of that was uh, uh, Lips's tent and all the other tents. <laughs> yeah. And then all the way to the back was the exterior of the OR, which back at the ranch was the place that we all got dressed mm-hmm. and that's where the also the hospital was and everybody, all the uh, the hospital patients, that's where they were back then. So that was the back of the set to the left of that, as I recall, was Colonel Potter's office. And all of these sets all had open faces so that the camera could sit in front of them and, you know, photograph everything it was right. It was all kind of, that you know, there was an empty, a big, empty space. Uh most of my stuff was done in the mess tent. So mm-hmm. you get very comfortable with the mess tent. And the mess tent, wh- when you see all the steam table and everything, they brought that in pretty much in the morning. That didn't sit there all the time. So all those benches and the tables and everything that everybody sat around pretty much stayed there. But some of the other stuff was moved out of the way and moved around so that they get the camera in closer to people sitting at the tables. Mm -hmm. So the steam table and all that kind of stuff was very movable, stayed there all the time where the, all of the tables that everybody sat at kind of stayed there for, you know, (laughs) forever. I think they didn't move those (laughs) when they were shooting scenes in the swamp. Uh, the sides of the swamp would be lifted up so that the camera could get in there, obviously, and you wouldn't see the, you know, you, you could be inside the inside the swamp rather than, you know, having a <laughs> the a wall there. So it right, right. would lift up the sides of the tent so that, you, was, you know, you could go in there and see what's going on. Mm. It lasted, you know, every shot again started at about eight o'clock in the morning. It would usually go until about 1230 again, and then everybody go to lunch. There were three kinds of lunch eaters. One was a, well, I brought my own lunch, so I'm going to go way in the back and sit there and eat my apple and turkey sandwich. There was also a um, a wonderful girl who used to bring food to us.
1: <laughs> uh, and, I like those kind of girls, yes.
0: Yeah, they were great. <laughs> she had some kind of business. She'd come in with big a big cooler, and she'd bring in this cooler, and it'd open it up, and there were salads and sandwiches and all kinds of stuff in there. I used to like that. I got really hooked on some of those sandwiches. We had interesting people come in from time to time selling things. So every once in a while, somebody would get on the on the lot and into that stage. I don't know how because it wouldn't be easy. Somebody had to let them on. But a woman used to come in and sell a lot of jewelry. So everybody that liked gold would run over to her. She'd come about twice a month, and she'd open up the suitcase and, you know, hi, everybody, look at this and look at that. And everybody would just give her money like crazy.
2: Oh, that looks good. Wow. You know,
0: she did very well. She was selling a lot of jewelry in there. Uh, That went on for a number of years. I don't know know where (laughs) she came from or where she went, but she was very nice. Uh The other lunch person, which was mostly me, I loved doing this. You'd go up to the commissary. So you'd walk down the street of 23 Century Fox, which I used to love to do because it had so much rich history. So many movies had been shot there. So much character was involved in that studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, you walk by the set of Peyton Place mm-hmm. and a few other
1: things that I don't remember what the heck they were. Well, I have a list here of the films and shows that actually shot on stage nine. Oh, wow. And it's it's a heck of a list. I mean, there are some, you know, there are some movies and uh, things from the 30s and 40s that a lot of people don't know. But some of the ones they do know. Uh, the very first thing that is credited that was shot in there was a feature film, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, mm. in 1939. The auto-primager film, Laura, was filmed on that soundstage. Then you have uh, the Vincent Price film, The Fly.
2: Help me. Help me. Help me.
1: <laughs> As you mentioned, Peyton Place was shot there all in, in Stage 9 and Stage 3. Batman, the television series Batman, shot on Stage 9. Of course, M.A.S.H. and then after M.A.S.H. was on stage nine. And then in recent years, NYPD Blue shot there and most recently the TV series Bones. Filmed on Stage Nine at uh, Fox Studios.
0: Where did you do this? For you? Who, who said this is what they shot there?
1: I have a friend named Google, and then uh, Google sends me to another friend. This is actually—it's uh, called the Studiotour.com—is huh. where I found this information, and uh, and they list uh, historically. I, I can put—I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Just go to our uh, page, MashMattersPodcast.com. And click on the page for this episode and you'll see show notes from this episode. I'll put a link so you can see all of the different shows and movies that were shot on the stage.
0: Interesting, because I don't recall Batman ever shooting there. Hmm. I, I, I worked at 20th Century Fox for a while as a casting director as well, and Batman used to shoot, as I recall used to shoot across the street from our office, which would have been actually stage four or five. I'm not sure.
1: Well, it only lists on here that Batman was shot there on stage nine in 1966. So maybe only one of the seasons. And it also talked about the exterior of the Batcave was actually in Bronson Canyon, which is part of the Griffith Park in Los Angeles. Yeah. So not everything was shot there, but maybe maybe they just shot certain scenes yeah. on stage nine for one season.
0: And I was not there in 1966. So OK. I don't know what the heck they were doing. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Wacky people. Anyway, I'll put this in the show notes and you can go there and see the complete list. Cool.
0: Pretty interesting. So once you kind of walked up the historical street and saw all these great sets, you come to the commissary. And that's where I saw Kerry Grant and that's where I almost passed out. I, I I will say this, I say this with no shame whatsoever. He was the most beautiful man I've ever seen in my life. Oh wow. <laughs> he he was just absolutely extraordinary to look at. And everybody, no matter who you were, man, woman, child, coyote, didn't matter, <laughs> yellow jackets. We all stopped. One day I was actually coming out of the commissary and this big, huge, gorgeous gray Rolls Royce pulls up. And I went, oh, that's a beautiful car. And the door opens up and Cary Grant gets out of the car. Wow. And you just go, oh, my gosh, look at that. He he, would—he had he not been able to act at all, he would have still been a movie star. He was just blessed with this structure in his face (laughs) that was just an extraordinary thing to look at. He was really I'm so glad that I actually saw him in person because it was a it was really an extraordinary thing to see this guy get out of the car. And everybody stood there and <laughs> the poor guy, yeah, you know, it's like two aisles of people staring at him as he walks through the commissary. Yeah,
1: but he's Cary Grant. He's used to that. Come on. He,
0: he's Cary Grant, for gosh sakes. Yeah, he was extraordinarily handsome guy. So once you get inside the commissary, it was a gorgeous place that had a the most beautiful mural painting of all the history from 20th Century Fox on it. And it was just gorgeous. You'd go in there and sit down and, and look at it. And if you were of a mind to do so, which I was, just let your head go and imagine all this stuff and all the people that used to sit in this commissary. So I used to love to do that because I would love that experience. Plus, they had really good cheeseburgers, really good cheeseburgers.
1: Man, this episode is making me hungry, by the way.
0: (laughs) We had a a favorite waitress named Doris who talked like this. Hi, honey. You're going to have a burger again? That really Do You want extra cheese on it? I've been here since the studio started, you know. (laughs) It's really outdoors. Uh,
1: (laughs) I can see her in my mind. Yes. Yeah, you can see her. She's probably still there, Doris. I bet she is. (laughs) So
0: it was a wonderful experience sitting there. And every once in a while, you'd see a huge, big, famous movie star like Cary Grant or somebody walk in and sit down. There was kind of a private dining room off to the side of the room that some of those folks would go in. And I'm sure that's where Daryl Zanuck and all the Richard Zanucks and everybody sat in. And nobody ever went there because you were afraid of being <laughs> shot. But, uh, you know, you'd see everybody from lots of actors to crew people to, you know, agents trying to get their clients jobs and everybody in there. I love going to lunch there. Lunch is over. You wander back towards the stage. And then you were there uh, if you were supposed to be there until probably about probably six o'clock. We were supposed to stop. But very often... I think cameras would continue till about seven, maybe even sometimes eight, just to make sure they got certain shots and finished whatever they needed to shoot.
1: Well, obviously, the advantage is, you know, you don't have to worry about outdoor lighting there. So, you know, it can go into the no. evening if, ne- if necessary.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So you could you could do anything. You could shoot day for day, night for night, whatever you wanted to. And, and it was it was really fun to see the, the camp all lit up and they turn all the lights on in the studio. And just look at it and kind of absorb it. I used to stand there and and just enjoy being there and seeing this thing. And I really did used to say to myself, you know, this is a once in a lifetime moment and it's not going to be around forever. So really enjoy it. And, And I did every day. I used to be very thankful and grateful that I was there.
1: Oh man, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, we've talked for a while, but I have one more question I'd like to get to before. And it's a question, then I'm gonna follow it up with a a voicemail here, and then we'll we'll close out with this question. But, um, Philip Sheridan, he sent us a message and said, just listen to your last podcast where you discuss the show's continuity. As a kid growing up on MASH, the continuity mentioned didn't bother me that much, but what did used to throw me for a loop was, one, the guest appearances by actors such as John Ritter or Ron Howard. I, again, being younger, used to have issues seeing Jack Tripper and Richie Cunningham showing up on MASH. But the one that really used to bug me is Harry Morgan himself when he appeared as Crazy General Steele and then returned as Colonel Potter. He said, that one messed with my young mind for a while. <laughs> and uh, he goes on to say, as always, love what you guys do. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Philip. We appreciate that. Yeah, I, I it is a little weird, uh, you know, especially, I think, uh, Ron Howard, because... He he, of course, had already had fame and notoriety by being on The Andy Griffith Show as Opie Taylor, and so uh, you know to see him, I think, would be probably a little unsettling. Now, of course, John Ritter wasn't yet Jack Tripper when he was on MASH, and you see some of these other actors who went on to great fame and notoriety, like Patrick Swayze and, and Lawrence Fishburne, and in retrospect, looking back, it is kind of bizarre to see some of those actors appearing on MASH, uh, knowing where they went uh, in their career. But speaking of of guest actors I want to play a voicemail that we received recently and this is from Roger
2: hey guys this is Roger from Lincoln Nebraska I'm a huge MASH fan I own all 11 seasons on DVD it's an awesome show along with your guys's podcast I enjoy listening to it um, my question is for Jeff Maxwell Um, You guys had a lot of famous guest stars like John Ritter, Leslie Nielsen, Ron Howard, Joan Van Ark. The list goes on and on. My question to Jeff is, did you get to meet a lot of these guest actors? And if you did, who stood out the most? I want to thank you guys for doing a great job on this podcast. and. Hopefully you last for a long time.
1: Thanks. <laughs> Does he mean the podcast or just us in general? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm planning on lasting for a long time, but I don't know. Thank you, Roger, for that voicemail. That's awesome. So, yeah, did any of these guest actors stand out to you when they were on the show?
0: You know, uh, I had a great scene with Alex Karras. Oh,
1: Yes. Um,
0: I'm a football player and he, uh, you know, it was kind of fun to do the scene because he was trying to intimidate me and he intimidated everybody. He was he was kind of big.
1: (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He was a big football player.
1: Also, the sky is kind of blue and water is kind (laughs) of (laughs) wet. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, kind of. And it was not easy uh, or hard or difficult to be to get into the character of being intimidated by him. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, he was a very sweet, kind, soft spoken, very pleasant man who had a great sense of humor. So I did. I was able to spend a little time with him and really liked him.
1: So you just sit on down and relax and I'll handle everything. with everything. I'm busy, fella. No, 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 no. I said two with everything. No.
0: Everything is just what you're going to (laughs) get. The other people, because I didn't have direct scenes with them, I didn't necessarily have a, you know, direct contact. So I didn't know them very well. I saw them. But a lot of times on a show, you know, somebody will come in and do one day or maybe two days. You're kind of in and out. Mm -hmm. So you come in, you do the scenes, you go to lunch, you do another scene, you go home. And there's not a great deal of time to sit down and get to know somebody very well. So I remember seeing a lot of people go through, but you kind of, oh, yeah, who's, yeah, okay, bye, see you around. So it was kind of an in and out kind of thing, and you didn't have the uh, chance to sit down and get to know anybody very well. So like I said, uh, the difference between you, sir, and me is that, you know, I worked there. It was a job.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And Mm -hmm. so every day somebody new came in, you didn't really recognize them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I didn't know they were somebody. So there didn't particularly mean too much to me. We had a lot of actors that didn't go on to become very famous that had the same rhythm that they had as well. So you just kind of weren't sure. And it like I said, it was a job and everybody shows up and you show up, and then you go home.
1: So Well, and, and, and also, some of these people weren't famous yet. That's right. So you didn't know that uh, Ed Begley Jr. was going to go on to something, or Andrew Dice Clay made an appearance on MASH. You didn't know he was going to be a big deal. Brian Denehy, Shelley Long, you know, she wasn't Shelley Long yet. Right. Patrick Swayze wasn't Patrick Swayze yet. Right. To you, it was a fellow actor.
0: It was a fellow actor. Yeah. And even Alex Alex Karras wasn't Alex Carris yet. He was Alex Carris. Because he was a famous football player. Right. Had he not been a football player, I would have cared. You know, I wouldn't have it wouldn't have been a big deal at all. Yeah. So that's why he he had a certain degree of fame. But like you say, yeah, we didn't know who these people were. And it was just another actor coming in to do another part. Mm -hmm. And they came in and they came and went and like a lot of people did that we never heard of
1: <laughs> right exactly
0: that's a job
1: well this has been a fascinating episode for me to just sit and listen to and I hope other uh, MASH fans uh, appreciate it as much as I did so thank you for for walking us through uh, a day in the life and well
0: I, I hope I hope I was able to articulate it even though I had this terrible throat thing that's going on
1: you did you did just fine I think uh, I think you have a future in this whole podcasting thing <laughs> and I hope you stick around for a long long time <laughs> or or at least until episode 20.
0: <laughs> I, hope we're, I hope we're here. What, when do I have to reveal that whole thing I've been talking about revealing?
1: Uh, episode 28. 28? Yes. Yeah, so, okay, 28. Yeah, right. yeah, that's coming up soon. We have to be here for 28, boy. That's, we have to make it at least to 28.
0: I hope I make it to dinner, frankly. <laughs>
1: Hey, thank you for listening to it. It really means a lot to us. And again, you can get in touch through uh, Facebook, MASH Matters page there or on Twitter at MASH Matters. You can send us an email. The website there is mashmatterspodcast.com or call and leave a voicemail. And you can do that at uh, 513-436-4077.
0: You know, that's really a cool thing, too, when we hear those messages, because it's a real uh, personal relationship with all of you. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the messages and hearing, you know, everybody's voice and what they sound like and hooking up a name to a voice and, and the questions. So don't stop doing that, everybody. That's a really cool thing to do.
1: Another thing that I love seeing is when people go on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. And we got another one this week. R-E-G-P-E on Apple Podcasts wrote, huge Mesh fan, fun insights, excellent podcast. Thank you so much. And you can do that. That really makes our day too when we have these five-star reviews. So come in. So you can do that. And above all, just tell friends, tell your family, tell fellow mash fans about the podcast we want people to listen to this and enjoy it as much as we enjoy bringing it to you
0: well said
1: did i say something i'm pretty sure you (laughs) did
0: well said
1: i have no idea i'm tired (laughs) so until next time thank you jeff thank you ryan and here's looking up your old address